Dr. Leon Kelly runs the biggest medical examiner's office in the state. He performs autopsies for sudden, unexpected, and non-natural deaths. He's the El Paso County coroner, and he also does autopsies for 21 other counties in southern Colorado, too. Every year he puts out a report. It's showing, quoting Kelly here, the vital signs of the community. In 2020, he saw some serious signs of distress. In the middle of the pandemic, there were increased teen suicides in southern Colorado. Many more people died accidentally from drugs, and domestic violence killed more people than any other kind of homicide. Dr. Kelly sees a common thread, the need for more focus on mental health. We're never going to remove the stresses of life. We're never going to take young people and turn them to adults and never have them encounter something difficult. You know, hello, COVID, right? What it's about is providing them the tools from the day they're born to deal with those things. That's where we're failing, to be honest with you. Dr. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you. How can an annual report on deaths reveal, as you put it, the community's vital signs? Yeah, the, 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 the purpose of, of this office, of any coroner or medical examiner's office, is really to identify where things went wrong. Um, it also identifies places where we're succeeding. You know, it, it, it's, it's kind of the ultimate, um, the ultimate uh, evaluation of your community. What, what and how are people dying? And so from this data um, is sort of that, that foundational piece of, of public health, of public safety, of what, what's, the, what's the worst case scenario? And then what, do we, what can we learn from that? And then where do we go? What do we do to ultimately prevent these same types of things from happening? It gives us that critical data to move forward and, and focus our, you know, our limited but, but very valuable resources on what do we need to do to, to save lives in the future. And a lot of your job, it is looking at data, helping us understand it and draw out the meaning there. And Southern Colorado's population is growing, so it is not surprising that the number of deaths in every category went up last year. Tell us more about understanding that data and when a trend in the way people are dying is concerning. Yeah, there's there's two ways to measure performance in, in an area like this. When you compare yourself, your community, to how other communities are doing. And, and, and that time will come. We're still early in evaluating and looking back on 2020. The other way is to, is to look at yourself, right? And see how you did compared to previous years. And yeah, population is always going to grow, at least in most communities, certainly in Colorado, but um, it's, it grows at a relatively steady rate. And so, you know, kind of where, where you should be. And yeah, if, if everything across the board ticks up by a few deaths, you know, that's to be expected. But when you have a thing, say, such as drug deaths, where last year, 10, 2019, um, we had 130 uh, drug deaths, uh, accidental drug deaths. And we went from 130 in 2019 to 186 in 2020. That's not a normal increase, right? That's a dramatic, statistically significant alteration in where we are and where, where our trajectory is. And that's what that's what this report's about. It's about prompting then that discussion of what in the world's going on. And in this report, we, we see what's going on in many cases. But then ultimately, what are we going to do about it? You say you see what's going on. What is going on? So when we look at our drug deaths, that, that significant increase from one year to the next, you know, one of the biggest driving factors is fentanyl. And we've seen fentanyl's effects predominantly on the eastern half of the United States. It's a very, very powerful opioid, 80 times more 
more lethal and, and toxic than heroin, 100 times more lethal than, than morphine, which is kind of the gold standard for, for opioids. Once you see fentanyl enter your drug supply, we went from, in this community in El Paso County, from 21 fentanyl-related deaths in 2019 to 47 in 2020. Once you have fentanyl, it make its way into your community, um, your, 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 your deaths are going to jump. Because the, the drug itself is so dangerous, so potent, that with it comes in, inevitable deaths. And the other piece that we look at, though, is that it's not just the fentanyl. We're, we're up drugs across the board. Methamphetamine deaths are up. Cocaine deaths are up. Heroin deaths are up. But the other piece that we're seeing is lots of mixed combinations, often fentanyl mixed with heroin, mixed with methamphetamine, which tells you, one, people are either using fentanyl in combination or fentanyl is actually a contaminant or included drug in in your drug supply and that's 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 been and will continue to be a recipe for disaster across this country and these accidental drug deaths you've said that these are one of the biggest stories to come out of the 2020 report but that it seems like it may have fallen by the wayside in terms of public attention how important is public attention and how important is it to you to bring that attention to these issues yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, one of my my big passions and goals at this office is, is suicide prevention, mental health. Um, and I think all of our collective, uh, as we went through the pandemic, our sort of collective focus was on mental health, mental wellness. We knew what everybody was was going through. We knew what we were going through. And I think that's one of the great things that's come out of this the, the pandemic itself was this kind of collective acceptance of of, of our, our, our general need to focus on that, to, to put effort in as personally, as well as communities. But I think why we were kind of all watching that suicide, the suicide numbers and, and thinking at the front of our mind, that's what we needed to worry about. Substance abuse kind of snuck in the back door and we don't see massive increases, at least in this community in our, in our completed suicides. Um, and we can certainly talk more about that and why and what the future looks like. But while we were, while we were worried about that, um, our drug deaths just massively exploded. And when we think about the pandemic, you know, what do humans do? They try to, to compensate. They try to cope. And some of us have really, really healthy ways of doing that. But unfortunately, as humans are humans, many of us have very unhealthy ways of doing that. And I think that's really what, in part, what this dramatic rise in substance abuse is at least part, uh, partly due to. Now, there are other things, right? The, the lack of access um, during shutdowns and lockdowns to uh, medical care, to addiction centers, to counseling. And some of our safety nets sort of collapsed uh, for a period of time. So there's lots that went into it. But but I think unhealthy coping is is a big part of, of where we are right now coming out on the other side of the pandemic. So what I hear you saying is that these accidental drug deaths and these overdoses in many ways relate back to both the pandemic and mental health. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, none of this is none of this is new, right? We had we had these problems long before anybody ever heard of COVID nineteen. But when you have this sort of global stress, emotional, economic, um, interpersonal, uh, you're going to there's going to be the cracks that are already there are going to widen. And when you have people who are already struggling, already on the edge, already having they don't have the tools in their toolbox to deal with nor- life's normal stresses in a healthy um, way, when you add this additional just once in a generation, once in a hundred years, really stress. It's not a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise that we've got folks who, who did not do well 
um, who did not uh, navigate the pandemic in ways that helped them grow and be resilient and come out um, healthy and, and, and stronger on the other side. It's, it's, it's quite the contrary in some cases. There are a lot of exacerbating factors and just the isolation and the stress itself was a lot. You focused on suicide prevention for many years. El Paso County has had major challenges with suicide. You mentioned that last year you actually saw a slight decrease in the rate of suicide um, over previous years. But teen suicides went up. What can you say about that? Yeah, in, in, in the Rocky Mountain region, Colorado, um, it, it, we, we have had our challenges with suicide. That's not a secret and that's not new. Um, El Paso County in particular, we had a rash of about three years of, of, of dramatic increases in our teen suicides, a, a, a doubling to a tripling from about 2015 to 2017. Lots of resources went in locally, um, you know, task force of suicide prevention. The community really came together. Really every youth facing organization, agency or group kind of came to the table and said, what are we going to do about it? And we were able to, to, to cut those suicides in about a half um, fairly quickly. So we saw some great success in, in those efforts. Um, they were paying off. And then of course the pandemic comes and, and everything kind of kind of unraveled for, for many of us. And, and some of those support systems were no longer in place. And we saw our teen suicide numbers jump up to those, those same levels during our, our difficult years. You know, the, the, the upside is that we've got those systems in place already. We've been down this road before. We, we have our own community strength and resiliency from that. And thus far this year, we've, we've only had two, which you know, two is too, too many, but significant improvement over, over last year. So we're hoping that some of those efforts, um, that collective effort, um, not only from adults, but our youth themselves will help us kind of weather this, this period. Um, particularly with our youth. Now, when we talk about adults, it's a little bit different story. I think most of us, uh, most, most adults are pretty good at, at, at making it through the acute crisis. Those sort of um, survival instincts kick in. But then as we start to come out of it, you know, those of us who, who didn't cope in the, the, the healthiest ways, those of us who are now under economic stress, who have lost loved ones to this, now we kind of have to deal with the long-term effects of the pandemic. And so just because uh, we did not see dramatic increases during 2020 in suicides. I don't think we need to look at that as necessarily a victory. This this is going to be a long road. Um, and keep in mind that the year before 2019 was one of the worst years, if not the worst year we've had in El Paso County. So we're just not worse than really bad. Um, but uh, once again, the investment that we put in time and energy, I think, helped us during that period that should help us um, as we as we start to come out of this and, and focusing on not only, you know, economic growth, but, you know, psychological and, and mental and emotional well-being and growth as well. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Avery Lill. We're talking with Dr. Leon Kelly. He runs the biggest medical examiner's office in the state. He's the El Paso County coroner, and he also does autopsies for nearly two dozen counties in southern Colorado. He recently released a report on deaths in 2020. Of course, we can't talk about deaths in 2020 without talking about COVID-19 deaths. Do those fall under your purview? They do. Um... Colorado State statute says that any death that constitutes a public health threat, which obviously, you know, in the last hundred years, nothing's constituted a public health threat quite like COVID-19. So, yes, they do. The, the truth, though, is that the vast majority, the overwhelming majority of these deaths don't occur in the home. They're not necessarily even sudden or unexpected. These were folks that 
grew quite ill, went to the hospital, um, or were already in a long-term care facility and were under the care of physicians at the time of, of their death. So while our office is notified of each of, of, of the COVID-related deaths, um, almost almost none of these folks require autopsies or any sort of you know, forensic investigation. The, the, the exception to that, though, is people who do die at home, um, who don't seek medical care from for one reason or another. Um, and that's an area that we were, you know, directly involved in um, throughout the pandemic and obviously continue to. The the circumstances and situations have changed and it's been reflective of what's happened in the greater community about who's dying and, and how they're dying. But um, we know now as we've, as we've gone through this that, you know, we have our COVID directly related COVID deaths, but across the board, deaths are up from all various types of of categories. So the impact of the pandemic um, reached far beyond just the virus itself, but to really every aspect of, of our society. And you told us earlier that much of the role of a coroner is to really be engaged in public health. And El Paso County is lagging behind much of the state on vaccinations. You've seen the results of the pandemic in your autopsies, both with folks who have died of COVID in some situations, and from people who have died of related stressors. How do you counsel the general public on vaccines? Yeah, I, I was, I was, I've been involved with public health for a long time, um, largely through our, our, our efforts to um, curb our teen suicide issues. So when COVID came along, my office, the coroner's office in our local public health department had worked hand in hand for many years. And so it was a, a natural, um, a natural duo to continue that work. And so I, I, uh, I became the deputy medical director at public health for much of the pandemic. And, and many, much of my role was that frontward facing um, uh, education of the community, right? Um, when the coroner shows up, people tend to listen maybe a little bit more than a, than a, than a public health official. And, and I've lived it, right? I I've seen it. I I've talked to families. I've done the autopsies myself. Um, this is not something that we, we, you play around with. We have the ultimate solution to this problem. This thing is over as soon as we choose, you choose to get your vaccine. And so you give people that, that hope and that confidence. I know what the alternative is and it's, it's not, it's not what you want to put on yourself or your family. Um, and so let's, let's be done with it. And and we have the ultimate solution to do that. So, um, the, the day I got my vaccine was, was one of the happiest of, of, of my life. It was, it was a V-Day moment for me because I knew the, the ramifications just personally and professionally and for what my family. And I think that's how we all need to approach it. We, we, we can win this thing. It's over as soon as you get that, that vaccine. You know, I do want to make sure that we talk about another big category of deaths that uh, you looked at this year. They were up uh, deaths by homicides. They were up by last. They were up last year, and one type of homicide really stood out to you. And again, it goes back to those pandemic stressors. Uh, which type of homicide was that? That was domestic violence or family violence homicides. Um, I think that when 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 the average citizen thinks about you know, homicides or murders, they think of, you know, drug crimes and, and things like that. But the reality is, is, is that's not what we see at a coroner or medical examiner. The, the vast majority of our deaths are going to be, you know, young people, um, domestic violence or, or altercation, simple arguments, sometimes between strangers, sometimes between friends that escalate rapidly. And, and when I, when you look at that, you know, one of the roles is, to, to go beyond, you know, whose fault is it? Let's prosecute that person. And that's all appropriate. But if you want to prevent these types of things, you got to look at the root problem. And in, in many cases, in most cases of these, the root problem is just the the inability for particularly young people, particularly young males, young and, and, and younger adult males 
to have the tools to to navigate what most of us, many of us, see as relatively normal stresses in life. Um, simple arguments, you know, road rage incidents, um, arguments with partners that escalate uh, to violence, to, to lethal violence, because they do not have the tools um, for numerous reasons to, to deal with those stresses in a positive way, to deal with them in a productive way. You know, courthouses across this country are full of young men um, who are facing charges and, and trials for, for, for horrible, tragic mistakes they've made because they, they, did, they made incredibly poor decisions at, at moments where there were many, many other options. And I think that's where the focus um, in many ways needs to be, giving young people the tools to deal with that, to deal with those stresses um, in a positive way. And do you see those deaths by homicide that last year is related to or compounded by COVID and um, the other stressors that went along with it, the economy, loss of jobs? I, I think so. I mean, I think that you know, when we look at our suicides, um, the number one driving factor, uh, particularly in our youth suicides, is, is family discord, unhealthy families, right? So if you're in a family in a home that where the, the people that are raising you don't have the tools to navigate life successfully and healthily, it's it's hard to imagine that you're going to get those those same tools. And then when you throw something like a pandemic and the economic stress and, and trying to be at home and homeschool and and so many young people who who school was their support system, right? It was their their link to uh, positive, healthy support of adults. Um, and, and you, you combine all that, that kind of perfect storm, it should surprise no one that, that we are seeing the things that we're seeing both in our substance use, um, our use suicide, and then, and then even in our, our family and domestic violence. When you were talking about teen suicide earlier, you mentioned that El Paso County has specific community strengths and supports that can really help. And I wonder how those relates to the other types of deaths that we're talking about as well. Homicides, you mentioned that young men especially need the tools to cope with those stresses. Tell me more about community strengths and how that relates to solutions. Absolutely. And I think that's when we we look at where we're going after the pandemic, the pandemic, yeah, it sucked. (laughs) There's no doubt about it. But it's also an incredible opportunity to build that and not only individual resilience and and grit and strength, but community. Right. We saw the, the ugly parts. We saw where the cracks were. We saw where we needed to strengthen um and and bolster our efforts right it it highlighted in stark fashion the people that were most vulnerable but that gives us an incredible opportunity as a community um to to build those areas right and and in our our teen suicide prevention bringing those folks together and having those public i mean 10 years ago nobody not one elected official would be talking telling a personal story about how they faced suicide or a relative faced suicide or or substance abuse and now this is a this is a conservative community, and and many of, including myself, many of our elected officials are openly discussing that, and and bringing that to the front uh, of of our collective discussion, and and putting real money behind it and real effort behind it, and I think this is this is the time, as we grow out of this, where we say, okay, well, what are our priorities? And and clearly, I think across the board, um, mental health and mental wellness for our young people, for our adults. That is the that is the key. That's that's the that's the key to much of what ails us as a society. And I think we are we are having those conversations in a meaningful way for certainly for the first time in my career. 
every person who dies has a story. And like you said, you are part of telling those stories every day in some personal ways. You're talking with family members after autopsies. In just about the 45 seconds we have left, how do you deal with the weight of your job on a personal level? Uh, you know, that's a, that's a tough question. <laughs> um, and I don't, I don't necessarily have all the answers. I would say I'm, I'm figuring that out along the way too, but there's two ways. One, we see the worst of the worst every day here. Um, and so you are the front lines. You're the first on the first conversation with a family has after the worst imaginable tragedy, but I provide answers. And in those answers becomes that sort of first step towards healing and that first step towards moving on in their life. And hopefully, using this bad experience to either make themselves better or, or those around them's lives better. And then when you take another couple steps back, you know that, you know, the information that we gain in these autopsies and, and the way we present that and communicate that to the broader community is that first step, not only towards the individual healing, but towards the community progressing in a way. The reason why we have seatbelts and airbags and all these other things that make our lives better is because somebody had the, the courage to, to do the autopsy, right? And to communicate that here's what went wrong. And then people much smarter than me can take that information and say, okay, let's make sure that never happens again. Or, or we do everything we can to, to make the world safer for everybody else. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Kelly. You're very, very welcome. Thank you for having me on. Dr. Leon Kelly is a forensic pathologist and the chief medical examiner and elected coroner for El Paso County, the largest medical examiner's office in the state.